What's up, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Bleeding BNG. This is episode six. So, guys, we're churning these episodes out, trying to get as much content to you guys as possible. So, like I said, this is episode six, where we'll be just covering some news and notes regarding the Washington football team that has been happening since our last episode. Um, so, today is actually Tuesday, March 9th. I want to tell you guys that to give you a, a timestamp on this episode so you guys can have some context on the news and notes that has been coming out that I'll be speaking about regarding the Washington football team. So, like I said, this is episode six. Um, our first, our first bullet point, our first news in order is that Alex Smith was officially released on uh, Friday, March the fifth. Um, and in a statement between Alex and Coach Ron Rivera, um, that was um, sent out through the Washington Football Team, they made it seem like you know that it was mutual interest. You know, Alex said that he wanted to play, he wanted to continue his career. Um, you know, potentially maybe being a starter or maybe just being a backup, giving a chance to compete for the starting role. And I believe that Ron um, saw what happened. You know, everything that happened in front of Ron um, this past season, he saw Alex Smith in practice. He saw his rehab. He saw how he couldn't come back in the playoff game or how he couldn't um, really compete against the Arizona Cardinals. So I think everything that went into Ron's head, you know, he loves Alex as a competitor and as a warrior and everything that I've stated in previous Bleeding B&G episodes. But guys, you have to understand, Coach Ron Rivera is in the business of winning football games. And if he believes that Alex Smith doesn't give him the best chance to win football games, he doesn't owe Alex anything. He does not owe Alex anything. He gave Alex a chance um, last year um, when, you know, the quarterback position was in shambles. And Alex did do his dues with his with a 5-2 and two record. But if you look at some of the stats from those games, Alex didn't show um, the potential to be the needle mover that I've been talking about in previous episodes. Uh, I believe that Coach Ryan Rivera believes in the same line of thinking as me, is that, you know, this, this defense isn't there ready to compete for a Super Bowl, and he needs a quarterback um, that, you know, can be that needle mover and that can keep them in games and, you know, that can manage games and potentially win a couple games when the defense is off. So, like I said, you know, I love Alex. Coach Ron Rivera loves Alex. Everybody in the Washington football team loves Alex for what he he showed his determination, his perseverance as a warrior. But I think it was just time to go. Um, and like I said, Alex, you know, Alex, um, I'm not going to call him stubborn because anybody that comes back from that, you know, treacherous injury deserves all the chances in the world to give it a shot um, in the NFL. So if he does want to come back, you know, hey, more power to Alex. I can see a place like Jacksonville being a potential landing spot for Alex because, you know, he, he played under Coach Urban Meyer at the University of Utah. So he'll go there maybe, um, you know, mentor Trevor Lawrence because he's the presumed to be number one pick by the Jacksonville Jaguars. I can see a place like the Denver Broncos being a place where Alex may look at and things like that. But we won't really get too much deep into Alex Smith um, right now because, like I said, he isn't on the roster anymore. And this is Bleeding BNG where we're focused on the Washington football team community and team team players um, and you know everything regarding Washington football team so our next line of business is that yesterday was actually um, the last day that um, NFL players could get tagged by the franchise tag by their respective rosters. So the Washington football team actually decided to franchise Brandon Scherf, um, which would make his for the second year in a row. Um, so like I was saying in the previous episodes, you know, that first year of the franchise tag, your salary is based off, you know, the average salary of the top five positions at your um, the top five players at your position. And the NFL actually in their latest collective bargaining agreement actually lumped guards and tackles 
tackles together. So that actually benefited a lot of guards because, you know, tackles are usually the higher paying position because they're, they're protecting either the blind side or the strong side of the quarterback against a lot of edge rushers. But now with that new CBA negotiation and agreement, you know, that works out tremendously for a guy like Brandon Scherf. Um, I think last year he played around something like 14 or 15 million and actually his salary this season will actually increase to around 18 million dollars if they're not able to um, come to a long-term agreement some point in July. And honestly guys, if I'm being really transparent about this news, I'm not the biggest fan of it because, uh, like I said, I believe that Brandon Scherf in his exit interview, he made it seem like he wanted to be a part of the Washington football team community for the long haul. So I, I'm not understanding. I know we don't have all the insides and outs of the business dealings and the contract negotiations that's been going on. But, um, you know, Bruce Allen was known to lowball a lot of guys. I don't know. You know, this regime doesn't have a lot of, you know, history, especially with our new GM and our new uh, executive um, vice president of player personnel and Marty Herney and Martin Mayhew. But I I'm just I'm kind of confused with this move because paying 18 million dollars to a guard is really is. It's not it. It's 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 not the business the move that you want to make if you want to be a good organization. While I do love Brandon Scherf, is he the best guard in the NFL? I think that would go to Quentin Nelson, and I'm not sure if he even cracks the top five. He may. Don't get me wrong. Brandon Scherf was a first-team All-Pro this past season, but I don't know if that was deserved, you know, based off his play, considering that he missed a couple of games. And I know this is Kevin Sheehan's favorite stat, but over the last three seasons, Brandon Scherf has missed a third of the games, you know, 16, 32, 48. So he's missed he's missed a full season a full season's worth of game over the last three seasons. So if you're there two-thirds of the time, are you actually the player that, you know, should be making, you know, $18 million? And I'm not one to count anybody's money. So I don't want you guys to think that this is a person personal attack on Brandon Scherf. And if you guys have listened to previous episodes of Bleeding B&G, you know that I'm a big fan of Brandon Scherf. I wasn't one of those guys that was knocking Brandon Scherf when he was drafted to the number five overall pick um, in the 2015 draft. You know, a lot of people in the Washington football team community felt like we needed a defender at that time. And they felt like, you know, guard, which which I'm talking about now with the collective bargaining negotiations, they don't think that that's a high position, a position of high impact. Don't get me wrong. I know that, you know, Offensive guards are essential to, you know, an offense moving and an offense being as successful as possible. But is it one of those high-impact positions that we talk about in the NFL, such as the quarterback or maybe, you know, the left tackle position? Is it the most, you know, I don't even think, I think it may be the least, you know, important uh, position on the line because you know you do have the center that touches the ball every play and that's making all the line calls so is the offensive guard really somebody that you want to pay 18 million dollars to i want you guys to think about that um but um i would be remiss to not mention that when we did release alex smith we did save about 14 million dollars in cap space putting us around 52 million dollars to you know really spend over the course of this offseason so i don't know i'm trying to put myself in a line of thinking you know with martin mayhew and um i mean marty mayhew and martin marty martin mayhew and marty herney but I, I'm just trying to think, you know, maybe they thought, whoa, you know, we have this cap space and we, you know, we can spend it. Um, we can spend $18 million on the, on, on a guard. You know, we have this money to spend, but I'm not, I'm not too fond of it. Cause like I said, um, I'm not, like I said, I don't know what the contract negotiations were, but I believe that if, you know, Brandon Scherf really didn't, didn't 
really want to sign a long-term deal for around the 13 or 14 13 to 15 million 14 to 15 million dollars that we were explaining in a couple of episodes back in our mock offseason episode then you should let them walk like you should let them walk because this is almost putting you in the Kirk Cousins scenario or the Kirk Cousins um, circumstance that we were in a couple years ago where if you have to franchise him for a third time, that salary is astronomical and there's no way in your right mind that you're paying that to a guard. We didn't even want to pay it to Kirk Cousins. And I'm not saying that Kirk deserved it because his play in Minnesota has kind of been he, he, he. But Kirk was a, a, Kirk was a quarterback and that was a position of high impact. But Brandon Scherf is somebody, like I said, he's missed games. I'm not sure if he's an elite guard. He's a very good one. I'm not saying that Brandon Scherf is bad by any means. But I've seen Brandon Scherf not hold his anchor at the point of attack sometimes. I've seen Brandon Scherf get beat for a sack a couple of times. And, and like I said, I love Brandon Scherf. I believe he is a top 10 guard in the NFL. But top 10 guards in the NFL aren't necessarily, aren't they aren't making $18 million a year. That would place Brandon Scherf uh, Far and ahead of the second um, place, the second um, highest earning contract for a guard in the NFL, which I believe is Brandon Brooks at around fourteen and a half million dollars. And you see what happened with Brandon Brooks? He signed that big contract, and then he got hurt before the season even started. So then it's like. We, this, that's the risk that you get with paying all these big guys, you know, especially with somebody with Scherf who has a history of pectoral issues playing in the trenches, somebody that uses his hands a lot and, and is moving in the trenches and uses those pecs a lot. I'm, I'm kind of wary and I kind of understand why the Washington football team is kind of wary of giving Brandon Scherf um, a long-term deal. So, like I said, I'm not upset um, or too mad at the deal of, of the franchise tag. Um, I'm just not fond of it because I believe, you know, that Brandon Scherf isn't worth $18 million and he isn't worth that cap hit um, to the team for this season, even if it is only for one season. Because $18 million, guys, I know it's not going to be an $18 million cap hit, but that's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. That is a that's an astronomical amount of money to be paying an NFL guard, especially someone who who we have to question is elite or not. And like so like I said, I love Brandon Scherf, uh, everything that he's brought to the culture. You know, he uh, I remember that video from Iowa. You know, he was a workout warrior, and everybody that's played with him since in Washington says basically the same thing. But workout warriors, just because you're a workout warrior, doesn't mean that you're um, worth eighteen million dollars. So that's it on Brandon Scherf. Um, like I said, I'm glad that he's. Back, so we know at least he isn't going anywhere unless you know the worst circumstance of like a tag and trade, um, which may happen, but I really doubt that that happens. Um, and hopefully, you know, they can agree to a long term deal, um, uh, before that July um date, um, where you know the, the deadline is on reaching a long term deal. So, like I said, guys, today is actually March 9th, um, and today was actually the official deadline on placing the franchise tag on, um, NFL players um, and actually today two of the biggest targets in the Washington football team community actually was franchised actually three of the biggest targets that we've been talking about in the Washington football team community the first one that I'll talk about is Chris Godwin um, the second one is uh, Marcus Williams Chris Godwin is a wide receiver from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Marcus Williams is a safety from the um, New Orleans Saints a young promising safety and then the third one who is actually like the biggest fish in the Washington football team community that everybody was looking to maybe potentially pair up with Terry McLaurin to, uh, to you know, create that dynamic duo. But Allen Robinson, wide receiver from the Chicago Bears, the guys that I, the guy that I thought that we may sign in our mock offseason episode, 
was franchised by the um, Chicago Bears today. So, guys, that leaves that that takes away three of our potential trade um, free agent targets um, off the board in just a couple of hours. So, like I said, with Chris Godwin and Allen Robinson, we were actually looking at those guys um, to you know potentially be major pickups by the Washington Football Team. Chris Godwin was a little less realistic. You know, I kind of figured that Tampa Bay would franchise tag him because of his age and he's. He's he's dynamic when he when he is on the field, um, but I actually did think that we would have a chance at Allen Robinson. But I uh, I saw a couple of reports on the ticker on ESPN um, that were saying that you know Allen Robinson was never going anywhere. Uh, you know us in the Washington Football Team community and other NFL fans could debate it all we want or can talk about it all we want, but the reality is he was never going anywhere. Um, you know the franchise tag was the la was the was the final was the final resort. Um, hope they wanted to work out a long time. During with a long-term deal with Allen Robinson, but I believe that Allen Robinson kind of, you know, was scared off that a little bit because in the same situation that we are in as the Washington football team, the Chicago Bears don't necessarily have that franchise quarterback or that guy that's going to elevate his career to the next level. Like everybody knows Allen Robinson is a dog top 10 receiver, but I think he he's at this point where and he showed it in his frustration earlier in the season, this past season, he's at this point where he wants to start winning games and he wants to start, you know, being in the talk of the top five and being mentioned at the elite of the elite receivers. Um, and I, I I think he was kind of hesitant. He didn't really want to, you know, sign off on a long-term deal with the Chicago Bears. I don't have any, you know, inside information. I'm just giving my insight from the outside perspective. But I think he was kind of hesitant signing on to a long-term deal. So, you know, he's making, you know, top five receiver uh, money based off of, you know, his franchise tag. And that's that's big for Allen Robinson. So I do want to congratulate him and Chris Godwin as well. And then Marcus Williams is somebody that I thought that the um, New Orleans Saints might not franchise tag as well um, and the, my reasoning behind that is because the, the Saints are in cap hell the Saints are in cap hell almost kind of like um, the, the situation that the Eagles are in where they're tremendously over the cap and I didn't know that you know they they restructured enough contracts or were able to restructure enough contracts to bring you know Marcus Williams in under that big number that um, a franchise safety would make I think this is Marcus Williams' first year being franchised so he would be making top five in the NFL safety money and honestly um, if I'm talking about you know the prospect or the potential of Marcus Williams he probably deserves it. You know, Marcus Williams showed a lot of promise earlier in his years um, with the New Orleans Saints. He may have regressed a little bit. I think that has something to do with, you know, the scheme changing um, in New Orleans um, because they were at the when. Um, Williams came in early in his career. They were playing a lot of single high, but over the past couple of seasons, they had him playing a lot of cover two and cover four, which I don't know. It, it fits his game. You know, he's a rangy safety, but him playing that, you know, single high is really where he excels at. Um, so, you know, I think the Saints saw that potential as well and saw that he was somebody that they didn't necessarily want to let go. Um, so, guys, like I said, those three guys, Chris Godwin, Allen Robinson and Marcus Williams are three names that are off the board that we can no longer consider as Washington football team targets in the offseason. Um, but some good news actually did come out concerning my, you know, stance on one of these players. And uh, I'm not sure if the news is so positive about another one of these players. But, you know, Washington football team ESPN beat writer John Kime said today that the team is actually working and talking to Ronald Darby and Dustin Hopkins camps to, to sign them those dudes to long-term deals. 
Bills to actually have them return to the Washington football team in the future. And everybody knows how I feel about Ronald Darby. Ronald Darby gave you a bargain contract last year where I think he played around three, played for around a three or four million dollar one year contract, and he proved it to himself. Like I said, he was top three in the NFL in pass deflections, and he only got better as the year went on. He's still someone who's pretty young. I think he's around 27 years old, and he like he he said it in his Grand and Daddy interview that I mentioned in a, a, a couple previous episodes. He loves playing at home, and I saw that. I saw that in Darby's play. No, Darby isn't the, the tr most tremendous tackler, but he was sticking his nose in there more often than he was in Philadelphia, uh, even in Buffalo. You know, when he was a little lighter, lighter in the pocket, had a little smaller frame. But I saw Darby trying to tackle. You know, I saw Darby stepping up. I saw him getting upset when he got beat. And I think that you know, Darby is a talent. What a lot of people don't know is when Dar Darby was, you know, growing up, Darby was considered the fastest guy in his age in his age group throughout the country. Like, Darby was that dude. Darby is that dude. And you can see it on film. Darby doesn't let a lot of people run by him, even post-ACL, you know. And he's still, you know, getting better. Like I said, he said in an interview this past year that this is the first year that he actually felt like himself at the ACL injury that he sustained in 2018. So, guys, like I said, I, I, I love that news about bringing in Ronald Darby. Dustin Hopkins, not so much. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure about this organization's fascination with um, Dustin Hopkins. It's getting kind of worrisome to me. Um, Dustin Hopkins has cost us games. Um, I still believe that he cost us the 2016 playoffs, missing a couple kicks and a couple crucial games, mainly the Cincinnati game. Um, but I, like I said, I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, I know that Dustin Hopkins went through that rush path in the season last year where it seemed like he almost was missing a kick every other game. Not every other game, every game. It seemed like, you know, if it was Sunday, Dustin Hopkins was going to miss a kick that day. And it was getting ridiculous. Um, but I think that he still, um, you know, averaged around a 79.4 percentage for, you know, kick accuracy over the course of last season. Um, and, you know, I've, I've heard Chris Cooley say this on the Kevin Sheehan podcast, but he said, you know, kickers always want to be over 80 percent to keep their job now if you're rounding out if you're rounding up and want to be generous to Dustin Hopkins you may say that he was at 80 percent but I'm not being generous because I don't I don't want Dustin Hopkins back I don't I don't Dustin Hopkins isn't somebody that I, I believe is is a kicker that is, is moving the needle I believe that there's other kickers on the street that that can do what Dustin Hopkins does. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry, and I hate to say that as you know somebody that's sitting on the couch. But I've seen it done before by other NFL kickers. Dustin Hopkins has lost us has lost his games throughout his tenure as a Washington Football Team player. And it's what is this Dustin Hopkins sixth or seventh year? And I'm just trying to figure out like who does he have naked pictures of in the organization? Like what is going on with this organization? And it's been through a couple of regimes. This isn't the only regime. He was with Jay Gruden in them, and it. It, I'm just trying to figure out because he isn't that elite of a kicker where we need to be going out of our way to make sure that Dustin Hopkins is getting extended this early, like before the free agency window. They're talking about Dustin Hopkins in the same breath that they're talking about Ronald Darby. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm confused. One proved it, one outperformed his deal, and one was, was, was less than average.
was less than average. And I'm just trying to figure out what's the rush in, in signing Dustin Hopkins. Maybe, you know, he'll sign a smaller contract and we bring in somebody or draft a kicker to compete for the draft. I mean, to compete with him in the in training camp. But honestly, that's that's what I'm wishing for at this point because Dustin Hopkins, is he isn't that guy to me. Um, I know uh, a lot of people mention how good he is on kickoffs. But when 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 you when every nearly every team is kicking it out of the back of the end zone, why does it matter? And he wasn't even that tremendous on kickoffs this year. So it's just it's just it's puzzling to me. It's really puzzling to me. But in that same um, report, John Kimes also did say that the team hasn't really had talks with Ryan Kerrigan. And he also said that the team expects Ryan Anderson to move on. And that isn't a shocker. Um, Ryan Anderson is somebody who, after a breakout season in 2019, he barely saw the field um, this past season. Um, he, he, he got passed in the depth chart by James Smith Williams and he eventually got placed on injured reserve and he never he was just a second round draft pick by the Washington football team that never panned out so while I said that he did break out in 2019 let's use that break out word kind of take that with a grain of salt he broke out for what he had been, had been performing since he got drafted in 2017 he wasn't a type of impact player or anything like that but he was a player you know that was solid um, holding the edge he had a couple of sacks in 2019 and then he just came back this season I don't know if you know Washington bringing in Chase Young you know had, had affected him I did hear some 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 murmurs about you know Washington bringing in Montez Sweat um in the 2019 draft kind of upsetting Ryan Anderson because he thought that he was actually going to have an opportunity to you know be a legit player for the Washington football team I'm sorry I said the Washington Redskins a couple seconds ago my apologies but um I, I did hear some rumors and some murmurings about that. So I don't know if, you know, them bringing an additional defensive end and Chase Young in 2020 even just just made him even more upset and, you know, just made him even less motivated to, you know, become that player. Uh, because, you know, everybody knew once, you know, Chase Young was drafted, he was going to surpass everybody on the depth chart. There wasn't going to be any time or much time at all with Chase Young was going to be sitting on the bench. And Ryan Anderson kind of got that. And, you know, I believe even in um, the training camps leading up to the 2020 season, Ryan Anderson's name wasn't mentioned at all. Um, rarely, rarely. I think somebody brought it up um, as a potential trade candidate. And I think that's the only time that Ron even mentioned Ryan Anderson throughout the training camp. So like I said, Ryan Anderson is just one of those guys who, you know, was drafted throughout that Alabama hype, the Alabama wall hype. He was one of those additional picks along with Deron Payne, along with Jonathan Allen that just never, never panned out. Um, like I said, he had a a semi-good season in 2019, but that was his only good season that he's really sustained in the NFL. So I do hope that Ryan Anderson does find a new home where he's able to showcase his talents. Because like I said in a couple seconds ago, he's a very strong run defender holding the edge. But at this point, how how valuable of a skill set is that? It's almost um, along the lines of I said with Brandon Sheriff. How valuable of a position is the NFL guard? Um, how valuable is a skill set that Ryan Anderson has, which is pretty elite at, you know, at um, holding the edge um, on run plays when teams are hitting you guys with a lot of zones, uh, zone reads and things like that, um, zone runs, jet sweeps and things like that. 
And then a lot of teams aren't even running the ball as much as they used to. You know, a lot of a lot of NFL offenses offenses are seventy um, past thirty percent run ratio. So how valuable of a skill set is it, and how much are you impacting the game with just that one elite trait? And every every other trait is very modest to say the least. So like I said, I do like Ryan Anderson as a player because he's a ten, he has a lot of tenacity. He's very tenacious, and when he's out there, I can tell that he's playing hard. But is is the talent? Is the talent there? I was I didn't I I was upset with the pick when they drafted him in 2017 with the second round pick and they and and he just seemed to prove me right. He didn't seem like a second round talent. Um, I know uh, a lot of people bought up bought his hype um, when he was playing with Alabama. He's rocking that single digit number seven. But we got to remember that was Ryan Anderson's almost like his fifth year in college, and that was like his first year playing playing and getting a lot of substantial playing time. I think he got a little bit of playing time the year prior to that. But he was playing on arguably the greatest college defense of all time, or one of the greatest college defenses of all time. So we got to keep a lot of those things in consideration when we're looking at you know um, a lot of potential draft prospects and things like that like who are these guys playing with I think that's you know the scenario with a lot of these Ohio State quarterbacks not Justin Fields but a lot of these Ohio State quarterbacks you know Haskins you know Cardell Jones and you know players before him you know they're so used to playing with elite talent where you know the wide receivers are so open off the jump all you got to do is you can loft the ball and get it to him you know Dwayne Haskins had a lot of yards just throw into the line of scrimmage because the receivers were going to find a way. So that's just one of the things that I've learned throughout, you know, not necessarily scouting players, but looking at potential Washington football team draft prospects is, you know, how did they, you know, elevate guys in college or did they elevate guys or were they a product of the system? So, you know, that was a thing with um, Ryan Anderson uh, that, you know, uh, happen you know um so lastly lastly before we wrap up this episode um there was some news and notes that came out regarding the draft um you know the, uh washington has met with the Almost every wide receiver in the draft at this point, uh, whether it be Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, Elijah Moore, Rashad Bateman. So it's this is my guarantee. This is my guarantee, and I don't really do guarantees. Why the Washington football team will select a receiver within their first three picks in the NFL draft? They're doing their due diligence. The signs are there. You can see that they, they weren't they weren't happy with the play of their number two receiver, whoever that was last season. You know, it was almost a receiver by committee approach. Um, I think Cam Sims probably you know broke out towards later in the season, but they weren't they weren't pleased with the wide receiver play throughout the season. If you go look at the um, list of draft visits for the receivers. Uh, on any site, any site. The Washington football team's name is under nearly every one. They're meeting with Devontae Smith, and I, they know they can't get Devontae Smith. He's looking to be selected in the first seven or eight picks. So it's just, it's crazy. Um, it's not crazy um, because that's what we need, and I'm glad that they're doing their due diligence. Because um, like I said, um, the quarterback position and the wide receiver position are the positions that we're lacking at on offense. So, you know, whether we need to spend that big money on a on a, on a free agent acquisition. So at this point, like I was talking about the receivers um, before, Chris Godwin and Allen Robinson are off the board. But the Detroit Lions did decide not to franchise Kenny Galladay. I would love Kenny Galladay to join the Washington football team. Him and Terry McCorn can can 
can com combine for a potentially lethal duo. You know, Kenny Galladay is a big body receiver. It's about 6'4", 215 to 220 pounds that can make athletic catches look so easy. He, he, he's, I, I think he's the best leaper in the NFL at this point. Um, if, if I'm giving a jump ball to anybody in the NFL, I'll probably give it to Julio Jones because Julio Jones is my guy. But Kenny Galladay would be in the top three or four receivers. And, you know, Terry isn't the biggest guy, but he's a burner. He's somebody that gets open immediately on intermediate routes. So giving him a deep threat or somebody that can just go ahead and get those 50-50 balls with something that Terry's getting better at, but he isn't the best at right now, that would, that can that can really put, combine for a potentially lethal duel, like I said before. Um, another receiver um, that's on the board that I'm not really too fond of, um, but I, I'm sure that, you know, the Washington football team will take a look at his Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, Juju Smith-Schuster is a couple years removed from his 1,400-yard season that he had in the last season playing with Antonio Brown. And I just think that he hasn't been the same guy since, you know, um, they asked him to be the number one receiver since Antonio Brown has departed from Pittsburgh. Um, so understanding that playing with a guy like, you know, Terry McLaurin, Juju won't be the number one, but I'm not going to be paying big money to somebody that, you know, plays primarily the slot. You know, Juju played almost exclusively in the slot this past season, something that wasn't wasn't a trend early in his career. He was playing a lot on the outside. They moved him around in the slot as well, and he played a lot of slot in USC, but I'm not paying big money to a slot receiver, and that's almost what Juju exclusively played last season you know Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool lined up on the outside a lot um and I just I just can't see myself while I, I do see a skill set that can fit with the Washington football team that Juju gives you with the, his run after the catch ability and you know also getting open in the middle of the field um he doesn't get as open as quick as Terry McLaurin on intermediate routes but you know using his body and using his leverage he does tend to get open on those shorter and underneath routes but I just think that this he, he, he isn't the piece that unlocks this offense I believe that you need a deep threat and an explosive piece someone like a Will Fuller who's still available someone like a Curtis Samuel I just mentioned two four three 4-3 guys, and, and then Kenny Galladay, who isn't a 4-3 guy, but, you know, he gives you a chance with the deep ball, with that 50-50 chance that he, a deep ball, a 50-50 jump ball with Kenny Galladay is almost to me like a 70-30 jump ball that he's going to come down with it. He's, he's, he's an athletic freak, like, like I said, I think he's the best leaper, and he has some of the best body control in the NFL. So I hopefully, hopefully we get one of those three wide receivers. Personally, I'm seeing a lot of people in the Washington football team community start harping for uh, Corey Davis. Guys, Corey Davis been in the league what four or five years, and he just had his his breakout season where he didn't even crack a thousand yards. Now I know that Will Fuller didn't crack a thousand yards, but he almost did in three less games. Will Fuller had around almost 900 yards in 11 games. So you can't tell me that he wasn't on pace to have, you know, a really dynamic wide receiver one season. And this, we got to also remember, this would have been Will Fuller's first season as a real legit wide receiver number one. Of course, he's been injured, which is my biggest issue with Will Fuller. But he's also played with DeAndre Hopkins as well. So we got to take a lot of this thing, these things in consideration. I, I just sent a tweet out a couple of hours ago, hours ago um, on my Twitter page, um, at BleedingBNG. You guys can give that a follow. But I was like, guys, people in the Washington football team community really think that Corey Davis is better than Will Fuller? And then I got a couple of replies like, yeah, he put up a lot better. He put up better or similar numbers. Guys, he played three last games. I would expect him to. I would expect them to compare, you know, Will Fuller's 11 game sample to Corey, Corey Davis's first 11 games. And let's see. Let's see where the stats match up. He 
I, like I said, I understand that Will Fuller has an injury history, so you may be able to get him on a bargain. You may be, get, be able to get him on a bargain. He'll be missing the first game of the season due to his HGA suspension. But, guys, he, he he's worth it. He's worth it. He's worth it. Can you imagine Will Fuller, a 1-4-3 guy, Terry McLaurin, another 4-3 guy lining up on the outside? You have to pick your poison. No, I'm not saying that Will Fuller is as good as Terry McLaurin, but with that type of speed on the outside, we can really start emulating offenses like Kansas City. We can really start emulating a lot of these high-powered offenses where when you're taking the top off, it, it makes it easier for everything else. You got to take one last guy out the box. You got to put a safety back there, which makes the run game easier. You got to drive you got to drop linebackers deeper and shallower in coverage which opens up the middle so that, that's why I'm looking for an explosive dynamic athlete or explosive dynamic player at the wide receiver position I love Curtis Samuel as well he's somebody that can be very 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 versatile in the Scott Turner's offense he played in Scott Turner's offense the last four games of the 2019 season and excelled you know he's somebody that is um that is a weapon you know he can line up in a slot he can line up outside he can play running back can you imagine a three-back set or a, a three-back set with Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, and Curtis Samuel coming out the backfield? Like, I, I don't want to get too crazy, but those are the type of explosive players you need in today's NFL when teams are averaging 30 to 35 points, and you have to put that up on a consistent basis. So like I said, um, I did, I'm did. i sorry that um, I went off on a tangent as far as the wide receiver position. I did want to go back to the draft. The Washington football team is in the market for not only a quarterback, which rumors have died down about that position um, a tad bit, but they're also in the market for a receiver as well. And then lastly, I do want to mention uh, one of the prospects that I mentioned in my mock offseason episode and that I've also brought up in previous episodes as well, a um, prospect that I liked a lot has actually met with the Washington football team nine times on virtual Zoom meetings. And that player is um, Zayvon Collins, the 6'4", 260-pound linebacker out of the University of Tulsa, the physical freak that I told you guys about um, a couple episodes back. And I'm not surprised by this move at all. Like I said, with the receivers, I'm not surprised that Washington is doing their due diligence with the receivers. We got to remember, guys, Coach Juan Rivera and Coach Jack Del Rio are linebackers at heart. They're linebackers at heart. If you guys can remember, other than Dwayne, the linebacker position got called out the most throughout, you know, post-game press conferences last season, pre-game leading up to other games. Like, Coach Rivera used to always say, the linebackers, they got to feel. They got to do better. Like, the linebackers got to do better. And that was an issue with Coach Rivera. You can see that he was ticked every time he would talk about it. Same thing with Jack Del Rio. He, he was ticked every time. And he would always point out the linebacker play and how how much better the linebackers got to be. Even earlier in the season when um, a lot of the media and a lot of us in the Washington football team community wanted to say that the defensive line wasn't living up to the hype, they were saying, Guys, they're opening up the lanes. The linebackers got to make the play. The linebackers got to fill. They were letting you know that then. So I'm not surprised that in 2020 um, and it's, uh, that in 2000 and the 2021 leading up to the 2021 draft that you know a linebacker like Zayvon Collins, who I've told you guys before, is a physical freak, and I actually love him in coverage. Um, like I said, somebody that big, 6'4", 260, you he 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 should he should be pretty good coming downhill. Like he should be pretty good against the run. But I think that he could stand to lose about ten pounds and and be one of the best coverage linebackers in the NFL. I honestly believe that. He's one of those defensive chess piece, pieces that you use, you know, that can impact the game. You can stick him on a tight end. You can stick him on a running back. That running back isn't blocking him. 
Like, like, I'm interested to see his 40 time, but I've I've rarely seen him get you know crossed up by by college football tight ends. I've I've I've, I've rarely seen it because he's that good of an athlete. And like I said, he could stand to lose about 10 pounds and become even more twitchier and even more freakier of an athlete. So. Other than the wide receivers that I told you guys to look out for, look out for Zayvon Collins. We got to remember, Coach Rivera is coming uh, is leaving a Carolina Panther team where linebacker play is a staple. It's been a staple for that franchise, whether it be, you know, Dan Morgan or, um, ah, ah, I'm, I'm forgetting the short guy that played with the Saints, the one that just passed over. Sam Mills, Sam Mills. Whether it be Sam Mills, whether it be in recent times, you know, with Shaq Thompson, Thomas Davis, Luke Keekley, Coach Coach Rivera knows his linebackers, and we got to trust him with this one. So somebody, you know, them meeting with him nine times, nine times over Zoom, where you can't even go see this guy face to face. You 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 obviously like something about him, and you obviously want to learn more about him. So guys, look at look at Xavier Collins to be a potential pick for 19 if we don't trade up. So guys, that's all for Bleeding BNG episode six. Like I always say, can you guys please, please, please follow our Twitter? Um, I'll spell it out for you guys like I do every episode. That's at Bleeding BNG. It's B L E E D I N B N G. And then you can also follow our Instagram at BleedingBNG. The spelling's a little different. Um, the Twitter page only has one G, and that's at the end of the handle. And then our Instagram is at B-L-E-E-D-I-N-G-B-N-G. So if you can follow us on our social media pages, we're giving out content daily. We're giving out multiple posts a day to keep you guys in the know, to keep our fans of the Washington football team community in the know. If you can also subscribe to our YouTube page as well, um, it's under Jalen Morgan. But if you search Bleeding B&G, just subscribe to my page. I would greatly appreciate it. So guys, um, looking forward to episode seven. We're going to give you guys a free agency preview with, um, since a lot of these names are coming off the board, where we come in with a more recent episode. It's not going to be a big gap in between these episodes. We'll be coming up with a free agency preview of some of the fits that really fit the Washington football team or that I believe fit the Washington football team the most. So be on the lookout for Bleeding B&G Episode 7. Thank you and have a good one.